0: I'm here, I'm here. Yes, are sure, sure. <laughs> giving me a hard time. Uh, he's been nice till now, but... <laughs> uh, I didn't get my hat. <laughs> oh, okay. Aww. Aww. Uh, that's why I'm drinking this. Diet <laughs> Coke. All right. Hi, Sharon Alcoholic. Happy birthday, everybody. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I love that we celebrate everything here almost. Um, almost. And I love that... Um, you know, we were talking today, I have my family blood and my family of understanding. And you are my family of understanding. Thank you for being here this weekend. Thank you. I needed you. So, too bad. I got, you got me. So, um, and I think, you know, they used to say, welcome home and all that kind of, I never, no, sorry, not home to me, but, um, I wouldn't be, I didn't even care for California because they had hours. They, they, you know, they closed the bars at two. And I was panicked, always panicked. And from April to um, July, I was homeless in in LA because I I couldn't get a job. Oh my goodness, I could I cocktail waitress for about I don't know an hour, and I couldn't remember where the drinks were going. And I'm like in the middle of the dance floor with these drinks, and I'm kind of panicked because I don't even know what's happening. And the owner came over and whispered in my ear. We'll pay you for tonight, but please don't come back. And that's how um, how viable I was as a human being at the end of my drinking. And then, uh, you know, this girl, Chris, the one that was my call, the one that was in the bar that had the big book and her court card being signed, uh, I remember somebody wrote Donald Duck on her court card. I thought, man, that's going to blow it. You know, when I look back and understand, I didn't know what was going on at the time. They're passing it down the bar to sign her court card. Um, but I, but Chris was moving out, and she said I could stay at her, um, her house, her apartment, while she was moving out. And I was really sick then. I had. Um, I had bad pancreatitis. Um, sometimes I'd be so sick I could like do a sip on beer to just to keep something going. Um, and I knew that when I would I would be passed out because I was drinking alone by now. And I would come to in this little black and white TV. There'd be a guy on TV. He sold cars called Cal Worthington. Okay, a few you'd know him, but he would like you know sell these cars. And it was always about two o'clock he came on TV. So it's like I. I hear his voice, and I go, I get to the liquor store, and it was a block, it seemed like a block, a long block away, and I was so paranoid leaving that apartment, going out, that I remember having to hide, like, behind garbage cans, because there were people that were out there, and I was just whacked, and I drove by that apartment a couple years ago, and it was two doors down from the apartment, (laughs) but it was the longest quest at almost 2 a.m. to go get my booze. And, you know, that was so, that was all I could do. That was my effort for life. And each one of us have come to this brand new life and have come home. And I like Robert Frost when he talks about home. He says, home is the place when you have to go there, they have to take you in. (laughs) So we have had to take you in. They had to take me in. They couldn't not take me in. And I I love that because everybody here everybody here had a shot. Um, so I'm gonna talk tonight about one of my favorite lines in the big book and it's on page seventy-seven. And it took me quite a while to find it. You know how they sneak things in the book at night. You know, it's just they still do it. Still amazes me. And when I was seven years sober, I took my birthday cake and we give cakes from a sponsor, and uh, the sponsor, you know, you blow out the candles. It's always at our meeting, and we have sometimes 19 birthdays, but we just kind of went through them. But the sponsor gets to present the cake, which is really nice. And we, I took my cake from my sponsor, and then I stood at the podium, and something happened to me I didn't expect to happen. I, ha- I was shot through with some sort of a feeling, top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I think it was just love. I was just shot through this with this great feeling, and I had never really felt myself inside all the way through. It always stopped here, it stopped there. You know, this is this is my hurt from the past. Let's get stuck here. It was like the inside of me um, had been unblocked for a moment to the source that is, and. It was fabulous. And I just thought, I want more of that. You know, it's <laughs> it was better than anything I ever drank. Um, and so I, I then it was shortly after that, I, I saw this on page 77. I went, Where did, when did they put that in there? <laughs> and it's very simple. It just says our real purpose. Oh, there it is. I've been looking my whole life for my, my purpose, my whole life. Our real purpose, not the fake one, not the sometimes one, our real purpose is to fit ourselves. That takes work. We're alcoholics. Fitting ourselves takes a lot of daily work. To be of maximum service. Not once in a while. Not when it's inconvenient. Not just because you like that person. You know, oh, well, this is on, you yeah, know, I'm watching the football game. Yeah. It, maximum Service. Service. That means helping somebody, something, doing something for somebody other than yourself. To God, first of all, and the people about us. It doesn't say just alcoholics. I used to just, oh, I'm only going to be nice to alcoholics, you know. (laughs) And uh, you know, literally I didn't, I didn't get that world out there at all. I, you know, it wasn't that I wasn't nice. I just didn't care really. I just cared about, when I started to care, I cared about you. I cared about being here. There was a man in our group, the man who told me to take off my backpack when he invited me for longer, was a man named Chuck Nesbitt. And he it was one of those old-timers that watched. He watched. You know, What's she doing? What's she writing down? And I had this little spiral notebook with a list, and everybody that gave me a ride, anybody who gave me cigarettes, somebody that gave me some money, um, then people that let me sleep on their floor, I had all of that that I had locked down, and he saw me writing this intently, you know, standing by the wall, trying to make it all right because I'm paying you back because I always go, I never stay, I always go, and I'm going to pay you back because you've been very nice to me at a time in my life where I had nothing, and I was, you know, this much of an ember of life left, and you were you kept feeding me kindling, you know, feeding me kindling, and that night. Chuck saw the little list, and he fed me some kindling, because what he said, someday, Sharon, you're going to have a car with driver's license, registration, insurance, all in the same name. Why did he say that? You know. And you're going to be able to give rides. You're going to have a couch you're going to let a newcomer sleep on. You're going to find out somebody's starting a new job, and you're going to take them out to your car after the meeting, and you're going to take the cleaner bags out of the trunk of those clothes you're giving her to wear that had been cleaned and hand them to her because you know she needs the clothes for a new job I thought how does he know about the cleaner bags because his wife had done that for me when I had to go to that court back in Palm Springs his wife had done that for me and, and he said and someday you're going to have a little extra money and that newcomer goes to the bathroom you can stick it in her purse that's the way we want to be paid back pass it on so he just basically said, put that list away. You know, we, we want you to pass it on. And he gave me a chunk of dignity back because he knew I could do it. And that, um, that was a turning point for me too because somebody that I respected had faith in me. So I, you raised me here and this is my, this is my home. This is where you are my people. Um, yeah, I I had this. Um, I saw this in nineteen um, in, in two thousand. Actually, I found this. It was in the grapevine. I don't even know. I I found it in two thousand. I don't know how old it is, but I gave it out as as a as a gift card one year um, at one of my birthday parties they had for me. And I just I love it. And if you listen to it, it's it's who we are. And it says AA is a spirit. It cannot be touched. Nor can it be completely understood. It is as wide as the world yet small enough to fit snugly into the hearts of women and men. It has brought light where only darkness dwelt. It has given hope to the hopeless and help to those who yearned in despair. It has nourished forgiveness in those that knew no pity. It has given strength to the weak and humility to the strong. It has spurred to higher goals Those that strove for nothing. It has taught patience to the hurried and action to the lazy. To youth, it has given vision and to the aged promise. To the lonely companions and to the restless rest. To the sick, it has been a doctor and to the dying, it has revived the desire to live. It has no judgment against the unteachables, nor has it praise for those who learn. To the outcast, it has been a family and to the child, childless it has given children. To the ignorant wisdom and to the wise tolerance it has given to all men and women that which is most precious. It has given a love for truth with enough left over to share." I just think that's so beautiful. That's what we're sitting in the middle of. And uh, yeah, so limitless load here. <laughs> I love that, that phrase of the limitless load for finally the prospector finds the gold he's been searching for his whole life. And he, you know, with the last piece of ounce, the last strength, he picks up his pick and he puts it in the ground to get this gold out that he's been looking for. And then he gets to mine it for the rest of his life because it's limitless and give every piece away. I read that I was like, "Oh, really?" <laughs> it just seemed like like so so much. Um, so yeah, maximum service, right? Maximum, and and that is my real purpose today. And I I I try to live by that. And and I don't get to judge who gets it. We all get grace. Grace is abundant. Grace is here for everyone. But. You know, when I do it, too, I have that black umbrella that sometimes I want to pick it up and it's got, you know, white paint on the top that says, no grace today. I'll put up my black umbrella and I'll stand there and let it fall all around me. Everybody else is getting it, but poor self-pity me under my black umbrella that says no grace, so I'm not getting any. And then all I got to do, though, when I'm ready is put my hand out. and And that's... And then you're there. But I... Still have alcoholism, so I must adhere to spiritual principles for me to continue to grow and change. I don't like being bored. If you're bored, you're boring. I I mean, I just don't like being bored. I don't like not being useful. I don't like. I like isolating once in a while. I'll, I'll tell you that. You know, every I tell my girls, don't call me. I need a day off. And you know, I'm gonna binge watch something I like, and I'm you know in bed, and the dog and the cat were all there, like, oh good, mom is home, you know, and they're like just doing their thing, which is nothing, you know, keeping me warm. And then by about noon, it's like no one's calling, no one is calling me. So I, I need daily contact. I'm that kind of a person, that's for sure. So maximum service. Um, You know, before I go any further, I want to. My mother would always say to me, "Were you well received?" (laughs) And she's in in heaven now, and I hope she knows that every day we're we're well received. And but my, she always say, "Remember your proper."s I think that's a southern term, and she was from Massachusetts, so I don't know where she got it. But uh, she said, "You know, just make sure you know your proper."s And I want I want to thank the committee. You know, I want to thank, where's, where's Carol? Bye, she just, um, my refrigerator's full. Um, there she is back there. Um, and thank you for picking me up and keeping me entertained in a two-hour drive. And everything that happened in being there with your mother and when your mother, we got the call about your mom, Brian, I felt very privileged to be with somebody with a life-changing event. And... Yeah, you know, it's, it It was, you showed dignity and you showed principles of Alcoholics Anonymous and um, you came back to us so we could, you guys could all, you know, love him into some sort of health again. Um, So thank you and thank you for everybody who's been kind to me and funny to me and poked at me and, you know, (laughs) sitting here, what can I say? You know, and the coffee and all that. Thank you, Mike, for that. And just, you know, everybody here that had anything to do in the hugs and the love, um, it's not taken lightly. You could smell me in the room. When you walked in, I smelled like alcohol. I detoxed in the rooms. I had nowhere to go. And... um, I love that smell. I don't get it much anymore. I don't know about you guys, but I, if I get on an elevator and it's crowded and it's a Monday morning, oh, somebody's been partying and it's like, smells so good. I miss that smell, so. And you know, we dress up and we take care, and and then sometimes people don't know. I had a girl come out. It was like maybe ten years ago. She said, oh, "I smell alcohol. Someone in here has been drinking." And I went, "Honey, this is AA. Let's go find them." You know. It's, <laughs> she just – and I think I was telling, I was I was telling Steve, we haven't seen I haven't had and yeah, been in a meeting where there's been a seizure in a while. That was always so exciting. It would disrupt the speaker and it was just also exciting. So, I guess we have a high class bunch here coming in. I'm not sure, but but I guess I have to go read Dr. Paul's acceptance again. Um, that's a funny story because Janet said to me, "You go read page 449." And I was a couple of years sober and I was having trouble with something and She's like, go read page 449, Dr. Paul's acceptance. And you know, so I was like. But I had a first, I had a second edition big book. And it's Joe's Woes. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever read Joe's Woes, but it's about a dollar and he stole the dollar and then the dollar, the dollar from his wife. And I'm going, I don't see acceptance in this here. And she'd say, how's that going? Cause you got to read it for a couple weeks here. And I go, Oh, it's okay, you know. <laughs> Ask questions, you know. And then one day, I don't know, maybe it was two years later, I got a third edition big book and there it was. I was like, oh my, I thought I was too stupid for AA and I didn't want you to know that. And, uh, my girl Hilda has a meeting once a year. We have a Joe's Woes meeting once a year just to, just to have fun, you know, so. So if you want to practice the principles in all your affairs, we're going to have to, you know, if you want to play the piano, you got to practice. There's very few savants in Alcoholics Anonymous when it comes to the principles. Um, that's the way I learn. That's the way I learn is, is I have to practice. I have to practice. I have to practice. And, you know, I remember some guy, um, I said, I, I remember my first lie that I told to an old timer. And it was like, oh, man, that's Ramon. Ramon knows. Ramon knows everything. He would sit in the back of the room, and we don't know what language he spoke, really. It was a little of this and a little of that. But if you were going on and on and on your participation and just kind of had no, no end, he'd sit in the back of the room, and you'd hear Ramon go, really? Amen. And then he'd go, well? And so Ramon speaks, sit down. You know, and I told Ramon this lie because I had mentioned I didn't get to tell my grandpa Wesley goodbye when he was dying and, you know, blocks away from Joe's place I was drinking at. And, uh, I had this watch. Interesting. Interesting. Because of this, I had this watch that looked like an antique. And people would say, oh, that's really beautiful. I said, oh, my grandpa Wesley gave it to me because I just had this I had to have a connection with my grandpa. It was a lie. I felt guilty, all of that. So Ramon said something about my necklace. I said, my grandpa Wesley gave it to me. And and then I walked by and I took two steps and I thought, I just lied to Ramon. He already knows. (laughs) So I don't know how many times I circled that room before the meeting and I walked by and and I think under his breath I could hear him going, really? you know?" Walking by, well... I don't know how many times I circled in and I said, Ramona, I gotta tell you that was a lie. I've been telling this lie for years. And you know, I just kind of spewed it all out. And he said, it's okay. You don't have to tell that lie anymore. And I remember sitting with somebody in a car and I started telling the story and I stopped myself midstream. I said, none of this is true. (laughs) And it was a girl I sponsored. I thought she go, well, you're fired and get out of the car. But, um, didn't happen that way. Um, I've learned so much by, Sponsors by sponsoring, sponsoring people. My, watch out when you do your sponsor, because it comes back. <laughs> it comes back. I, Janet, I used to eat, I think it was carrots at her, something crunchy on the phone. And, and then I got this girl, Beth, that, kicked me at her first meeting. She was drunk. I'm trying to tie her shoes. She's like got <laughs> shoelaces all over and she's drunk. And she kicked me. And then then she called me and I was like, oh, really? Okay. All right. We'll I'll do Beth. We'll try. And then I was talking on the phone to her and I hear crunching. And I said, are you eating carrots? She said, no apples. She was defiant and spoiled and had vodka rings on her big book and but Beth and I started working together and um she was I sponsored her for thirty nine years and I said goodbye to her last year. Um she was a fantastic turned into a fantastic beautiful human being and made her amends. Uh went out worked with her father in New Jersey, helped him with his factory at a factory. Uh, he got uh retired and she kept working out there. He moved to Kauai. He found out he had pancreatic cancer, so she moved to Kauai. He had bought a restaurant and so she kind of inherited her father's restaurant and and worked there and then Aniki just took the whole restaurant, the big hurricane took it down. It was gone. And uh she said, do you know what to do? She said, I was standing in the middle of the rubble and I heard a voice. We need nurses. And she says probably the Red Cross calling we need nurses because <laughs> it was, but she took it literally <laughs> and she went back to school and she ended up getting a master's degree in nursing and she became, um, moved to Santa Fe, became the head of a chemotherapy clinic in Santa Fe for a metastatic breast cancer and uh 2 years ago she got metastatic breast cancer. So the place that she had helped put together and ran was now the place that was treating her. And uh, she she was such a taker when i met her, spoiled little little rich girl and she turned into the biggest giver i've ever i've ever known and um yeah. And then my other first girl I sponsored was a lady named Diane. Um, and she's, she talked one night. She shared about stabbing her husband. And I just thought, ooh, you know. But she was scary to look at because she never, ever <laughs> smiled. She just looked at you you could feel her across the room and then one night she was talking to me and she said I need a sponsor will you sponsor me and I thought not the stabber oh no <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was she scared me really and I had to give her some direction she didn't call and I, I had to get at the meeting I wanted to do it around people just in case um, You ha- if I'm your sponsor you have to call me and she said, okay. So the phone starts ringing at about midnight or 1 in the morning when she's done with the coffee shop. It's just, she'd say, hello, it's me. She never ever told me her name. Still to this day when she calls me, she doesn't live in town anymore. Hello, it's me. Uh, um, and she would say, I just left the coffee shop, went to the meeting, going home. Um, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay. And that was her check-in because she knew I was sleeping because she couldn't get vulnerable. And she came over to the house, and we were doing some step work, and I had to give her some direction I know she didn't like. And I turned around to get the coffee cups out of the cupboard, and I said, oh, my God, here it comes. Here's the knife. I know I was like, <laughs> I just knew it was coming. And she turned out to be an amazing human being, and she lost all of her stuff, and she barely got out of the fire up in paradise last year. Barely, Barely got out. I'm so glad she made it out, because she's... Older and a little disabled and a granddaughter went and got her and they barely made it out. So, um, yeah, we're still in touch. And I, that's just the beginnings of, of my years of sponsoring people. And I, I've learned along the way. I've learned about myself so much along the way. I've learned how to love deeply yeah, I told you my first third step. I thought I was gay. My sponsor was ugh, hugging me and felt good, and I didn't know what that feeling was, and so I thought I must be gay. I love you. She, you know, that's the way my computer didn't have the wires put together right. It was a little, it was scattered up there, but um, but no, I've done so many third steps. In in my father's cornfield in Iowa, I did a third step with a girl. It was really magical. And my dad, where he grew up, he wasn't there anymore. My grandpa lost the farm in the Depression. Or gambling, we're not sure. <laughs> That's my favorite Grandpa Wesley, so maybe he had an ism or two, we're not sure. Probably that he was my favorite, maybe, maybe. But we, we got to go there, and the man um, said that, you know, yeah, come in the house and look, and he kept the house just like it was, and when my my dad grew up there. And it was just a beautiful moment in a beautiful cornfield. And you know the corn talks. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, OK, good. Yeah, the corn talks to you. You can hear it grow. If you ever get lost in a cornfield, just don't panic, because it gets scary. You can get lost. I mean, when you're a kid, you can go forever. I remember being lost in a cornfield. That was pretty scary. But um, I made it out. I'm here. So that's good. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, you have to, um, you have to, I hate saying that, I have to be involved. I have to, Don Pritz, I don't know if any of you remember Don Pritz, but yeah, from Colorado, amazing man. He was one of my mentors. And um, he used to tell this story about a little boy whose mother was having another baby. You know, his family was going to have another baby and he was going to be left behind, he thought. You know, he was not... You know, maybe three, four, maybe even five, I don't know. But he was old enough to understand there's somebody coming that will probably take his place. And he was pretty obsessed. That's what they thought, the parents, because he was obsessed with the baby in the mommy's tummy. And he would talk to the baby. And, you know, when it comes out, I got to talk. We got to have a talk. He's, you know, he's very insistent. When his little brother comes out, we're going to have a talk. And so they were like, okay, yeah, sure, you know. Not for a while, no pillows and, you know, nothing around to hurt the little baby and then don't leave him alone. And they had talked about it. So we don't know why he's so insistent, but he was. And so, you know, they kind of didn't, nothing really happened. And so they kind of kept him away. And then one morning they hear him get up really early and he goes into the baby room at the crib and they're going <gasps> and they get up and they stand. They, they thought, let's just stand and listen to see what he wants. What's going on? You know, if anything happens, we're here. And they heard him he get his face right up to the crib, you know, right up to the b- bars of the crib and put his face through and talk to his brother. And he says to his brother, quick, tell me about God. I'm starting to forget. And that's the way I feel when I sit with somebody who's new. That's the way I feel because it's such a beautiful, Gift that we get to come into Alcoholics Anonymous and have the opportunity to have this brand new life. And I feel like working... I don't want to forget. I have a forgetter. i got to come here and hear Chapter 5. Over and... Oh, oh yeah, that's right. There's hope. (laughs) I have a lot of time. I'll be out in the world. I come in and sit down and go... (sighs) I just exhale and I hear Chapter 5 and I go... Oh, yeah, there's hope. Like, I don't know that. But coming and sitting with you... I feel it in my heart. It gives me the rejuvenation and the reminder of how lucky we are that we are the lucky ones. So, I, you know, I have that forgetter, and I I want to remember that that God is in all of this, all of this. Um, so, I um, you know, I love that my why There's a lot of people say there's no musts in the big book. I said hell there are. Um, you know, so here we have on page 83 I think is all the musts here Uh, you know yeah it's easy to let up in the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels of course it is we are headed for trouble if we do what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition maintenance of it 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 thinks we have one already see (laughs) and you get to this point in the book Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. It's just the same, you know, it's the same as our real purpose. There it is. We must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are the thoughts which must go with us constantly. All right. So you know the proper use of the will, because we have that free will. We have that free will, and um, to some extent, we've become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital, life-giving—is the word vital—vital sixth sense. And when that sixth sense talks to me, I now listen. I was a girl I sponsored. Her name was Jan. She was beautiful. She always wanted to work for Eric Clapton. She was circling Eric Clapton, circling. She never got really. She got close, but not that close. <laughs> and and she had this beautiful long red hair. And she was six feet tall, and uh, just feisty. Um, and she was standing at the top of the um, the aisle, which went up um, at our big meeting. And I was sitting there doing my commitment with the baskets, making sure everybody had their baskets to pass. And I looked up at her, and the voice said, go give her a hug, you're never going to see her again. And I didn't do it. And she had a stroke that night. I listen to that that voice now. I listen to that voice. Um, it doesn't talk to me all the time, you know. It doesn't say, you know, turn left, turn right, you know. It, it You know, it's not like, you know... My sponsor said, if you can get your head down to two voices, you got it made, you know. Then it's just schizophrenia. It's not insanity. Um, And, you know, that brings me to something, too, is that, you know, we can't... This is is about alcoholism. I don't think we can help everybody. Um, I've sponsored people that I think, you know, weren't alcoholics. And we go, by the time I'm... Through the steps a little bit with them, we can kind of see that they're not—they're not grasping it. They're not growing. They're not—it's not ringing in them. It's not ringing true. Um, and you know, we found the right place for them to go, and it's great. But you know, my husband's son was—he—he um, he went into Desert Storm, and he came out uh, not the same person. And he treated himself with alcohol because he actually had become a schizophrenic, and he treated himself with alcohol. But alcoholic synonymous didn't work for him. But he needed to treat himself with something, and he became homeless in Santa Barbara. So if you're going to get some, become homeless, go to Santa Barbara. It's, they treat you pretty good up there. Um, so, um, but he didn't see him for years. He was last thing he told his mother. Um, I'm walking to San Francisco, and he left the house. And nobody saw him for a number of years. And they started to wonder where he was and try to talk to people and put up pictures. And and so somebody thought they had seen him around Oxnard, that area, Santa Barbara area. So he started going. My husband would go up there, and this was something he couldn't even talk about. It was so painful. It's his only child. And he would go up there, and he would find... Um, Churches and he would find, you know, he would put the pictures up and the name and to contact and that kind of thing. And, and then one day I got a call from a lady in the church and she said, I think your son sits under the streetlight at night and reads at this bus stop. So I think that could be your son. So he went up there the next night and that was his son. And so his son took him to where he had been living, which was in a field, um, trusted him enough to take him there, um, and we found him a place that was a non-profit, and he was doing great, and he was doing um, landscaping, and he had a cell phone, and um, he came for Thanksgiving, and it was Easter, actually, and my son had seen him all buff as a Marine, right? All buff as a Marine, and then he comes, and he's skinny, and can't make a decision. he had no buttons on his coat. I said, "I'll sew buttons on your coat. Pick out some buttons." And I gave him a box of buttons, and it took him two hours to pick out the buttons. And 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 my son was like, "What happened?" You know, he didn't he didn't understand. And he taught him to play a video game, and so they you know kind of got got some time together. And then he disappeared again. And we would get calls from the AA members up there because everybody knew Kenny. And and uh, you know Casey's friends, I play golf with. It. There are a lot of golfing guys in the program, and we would get a call, and, and he spotted again. So then Casey would go up there and kind of start walking where the homeless are, and they called him Shoeless because he never wore shoes. And he found him, um, and you know tried to bring him in again, and it didn't work. And we would go up there when he would have a sighting or. You know, we bring in blanket, and my husband would take the shoes off his feet and give them to his son, and couldn't help him. We couldn't help him. He wasn't an alcoholic, and um, he he passed away from stomach cancer. He was living on the beach, and he was a viable human being. But you know, we couldn't help him, and that was like just broke my heart about. I wished we could have helped him, but he wasn't an alcoholic. Once he had gotten the proper medicine, he was doing okay, but then he didn't take his medicine anymore. That was the big lesson. You know, we would have done anything for him. But um, you know, we tried. We tried to get him in the right spot. And he didn't want to stay. So that was just a big lesson in that. You know, alcohol doesn't do for everybody what it did for us, and I'm just so grateful I know what I am. when I sit with you and it makes sense. In a world that doesn 't make sense out there to me at all much, I know I belong here. It just verifies that i 'm an alcoholic. It just verifies to my core that this is this is my job here now is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and the people about us and to uh, to keep growing up growing up was so hard i jeez i don 't know about you, but there you know there 's been times I dug in my heels, and you know it 's not been um Too comfortable when I do that because, um, I like to stay flexible. I like to stay teachable. And I am in pain when I am brittle and I'm not willing to change. But that pain has to take me to the point of going, okay, (laughs) surrender it, you know, surrender, surrender here, you know, surrender at the, you know, at Blue Lips, you know, surrender in LA, surrender on the road, you know. I mean, I, that, that sweet little old lady that was ahead of me and I'm pissed off at her and I don't like, I don't like this job and, but I had just had my morning meditation and everything was fine <laughs> and then I get out on the road and somebody cuts me off and I look at her and I go, you know, I think it was like a valiant and she's got little blue hair and she's <laughs> listening to something with her windows down that's like elevator music and she cuts me off to get in the lane to get on the freeway and I'm thinking, You should be banned from eight to ten every morning to be on the road. You should make your doctor's appointment at noon. You know, and I'm like already like sweating and, and she gets on the road and she goes and, and so then I cut her off at the on ramp and then I cut everybody else off and I get to my off ramp and and I'm just ready to go home. (laughs) And I gotta go put in a day's work and I've just let this the power that, you know, I gave all the power to this righteousness, you know, this judgment and this righteousness, which wore me out by the time I got to my off-ramp. And guess who was ahead of me on the (laughs) off-ramp? Every hair in place, not a bead of sweat on her, still smiling, still listening to her music. And I just, I had a laugh. Man, there's a lot of ways through the forest, you know, and she took the easy way that morning. I'm out in the brambles, you know, so Br'er Rabbit can find me. I don't even know, but um yeah. So was I God conscious then? Was I present? No. I have a lot of little exercises during the day when I'm, I'm not feeling in my body all the way. and You know, we all have those days. I'm just somewhere else, and I have to go, where are your feet? Okay, where are your feet? Where are your feet? My first sponsor said, make your feet your friend. Your head is broken. You can't correct your life with a broken brain. It's broken. Your feet are your friend. Your feet will get you where you need to go. It'll take you to a meeting. Your feet will go to your sponsor's house. Your head says, they don't understand. I'm out of here. Your head says, yeah, they're nice, but I don't really need that. But my feet know where to go. So I, you know, I still pedicure and take care of my feet. I have nice feet. I love my feet. They're my friend. So I have to have exercises during the day. Where are your feet right now? And it brings me back to the present because in the present, everything's okay. In the present everything's okay. You know, Sandy used to say, you know, to his baby's having a problem, go to a movie and call me when it's over, you know, and after the movie's so, oh it's a great movie and listen well, what about that problem? What problem? You know, it's like it's just diversion work sometimes, you know, it just works. And um, so getting through the day, yeah, I you know, I'm not always, you know, God conscious, but I have that phone ring. I have girls that I'm responsible for. I take it very seriously, being responsible for somebody's sponsorship. You know, Janet was responsible for my life when I didn't care much about my life. And as I've gone through life, Ginny was responsible for my life. And you know, they were responsible because they were there for me. They they made a commitment to me, and they were there for me. And I had to do my part. You know, it's that. you you know, that thousand pound telephone, you know, sometimes when things were bad and, you know, I'd show up at her house sometimes and she'd always make me wash her dishes. It was like, was that an exercise or what? I didn't quite understand that, but, you know, so yeah, prayer and meditation start my day. And, um, Brian was talking to me about that he lets God in the car with him. Um, you know, and that's, I think that's one of the most This is an aside, but I think it's one of the most spiritual things you can do with a newcomer is just tell them to get in the car. Get in the car. We're going, we're going to a panel. Get in the car. We're going to a meeting. Get in the car. Yeah. And even when I was had with that messy divorce and I was mad as hell at everybody and I had to go speak somewhere in Sacramento and so I put my baby in the car, my babysitter in the car and two of my girls I didn't, you know, some of the married women when I went through that was like, you know, rats from a burning ship. They were gone. You know, you no, know, she's not married anymore. I, I can't talk to her. You know, and, um, but I had two crazy ones stay. And, um, so, I, and I still sponsor them today, but you know, the other eyes were rolling and they didn't know any better. I said, get in the car. And they got in the car and there were, there we were, all of us in the car and going to a meeting. And they said, well, you know, maybe we're on the road like two hours already. Well, where, where are we going? Like Sacramento's like five, six hours, right? Uh, can we go to the bathroom? No, hold it. You know, it's just like, (laughs) but I learned so much from everybody by just getting in the car and going to these panels. And, you know, I don't remember the panels or what was said, but I remember the people. I remember the, the bonding we had in the car. And, and those were really special, special times. Um, and yeah, that's that's it. You know, a car full of people going somewhere else. Alcoholics. Oh my God! Don't do a caravan with four or five women following each other because you, it's like you're never on the same bathroom schedule. It's insane. We went across Louisiana to uh, one of the other sites from New Orleans to, and it was like oh, everybody. It seemed like we were stopping every half hour. It was crazy, but. But yeah, so you know, guy gets in the car with Brian in the morning. What I what I do when I wake up in the morning is my dog thinks her name is God, so I, she can't wait for me to open my eyes, and she's part Jack Russell, so she leaps around and leaps around, and and she waits for me to go God God God, God God God. Such, that's what wakes me up in the morning is is that beautiful energy and love, <laughs> unconditional unconditional. So when I can start my day like that and I can have my quiet time and I can get right and I can look at my... I love looking at my day, my 24 hours before. I love looking at that because I learn a lot about myself. I learn a lot about me and my motives. I learn a lot about what happened. I learn a lot about why... I don't know if anybody's ever read this, the mental diet, seven-day mental diet, but... um, Emmett Fox, I don't know, it's a, it's a non, that's not conference approved, but, you know, I, it's okay, it's okay to do things like that. It's okay to read other things, spiritual books. It's okay if you want to go to church. It's okay, all of that, you know. Bill said, find your, find your path. Find your path to God. Find your path to your higher power. Find your path to, you know, you know, Howard be thy name. I mean, I knew a lady who was, uh, that was Howard was her God. Howard be thy name. And so that was her God was Howard. And so, you know, it doesn't matter. As long as it's not you. You know, as long as it's something that you can, you can, you can be real in front of. You can, you can, you can, you, can, you know, it's, it's on your side. This power is on my side. And it flows through all of us. It's that grace that's there. And my awareness to have that grace be to give me the strength to continue on this path to help somebody else is, it's phenomenal. The spiritual, this whole program is spiritual. People talk about the spiritual aspect. The whole program is a spiritual program. And, is that? It's, it's. It's the quote that said, "You know, oh yeah, it was, and came to believe, and I love this quote, and I found it again, "I believe we are sober and alive for only one reason: God has a job for us to do. And maybe your job today is washing the cups. Maybe your job tomorrow is answering the phones at central office. I don't know if they still do that anymore, but maybe your job is to." Adopt a newcomer. Even if you're not sponsoring them, adopt a newcomer. Take that person out to coffee, call them and see how they're doing. If you're not sponsoring, just adopt somebody. You know, and I, I, I don't even know how to tell you how I got a video tonight of a, one of the girls that I sponsor in Berlin. And I had set up, I had gone over there and I had set up on her birthday, because she was so kind to me and did so much for me when I was over there, that we were sitting in this restaurant, and she said, oh, I like these chairs. I've been wanting to sit in these chairs. So I found these chairs online, and her (coughs) ex-boyfriend, our good friends, took the video. Today was her birthday, and she had this big box. She had said, I've never had a box this big before, and she's had a lot of amends with her family. And she's made great strides in the last year. Now she's sponsoring for people, and it's just such a joy. It's such a joy to watch her grow up in AA and want to give. And she opened this box, and those chairs were in there, and she was just, like, blown away. And I just, you know, I just love doing things for people, whether they know I'm doing for for them or not. You know that, I told you my sponsor said, do something nice for somebody without getting found out. That was in that little Just for Today pamphlet. And if you tell someone, then you got to go do something else because they found out. <laughs> and that was a real quest to do something every day, you know. So, you know, so continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once. <laughs> okay. You know, go sit in the bathroom and ask God at once to that, you know, that person I'm working with and whatever it is, but. Boy, I had a hard time at, at, at offices because I felt like an alien. I felt like an alien and I had to go through the mire and the muck and the, you know, the judgment and the, you know, the being over, you know, being, being somebody they weren't looking at to, to promote anymore because I think, you know, at a certain age they just kind of look at something like, okay, well she should just retire and, and if she won't retire, we're going to move them all to Texas and then we'll retire her. And we'll, we'll give her a package because she's been here a long time. And, you know, it's a, it's a change of life thing so she can get all her little things that happen when you're a certain age. And, you know, my certain age, I'm on water skis. I had a birthday and I'm on water skis, you know. I, uh, my husband's ashes are all over the world. I bungee jumped in New Zealand with him. I jumped out of a plane with him. I went to top of the Eiffel Tower with him. I'm just going to keep on moving, you know. He's, he's, it's, it's just something that I want to do, is to take his ashes all over the world. All the golf courses he's been to, I got I got him at Wingfoot where he got his eagle. And um, I got out there with my friend who was, you know, a golf team coach, and he happened to be there, and he takes me, and I said, I remember right where Casey got his eagle. And so... I'm looking at these toadstools and I think that's a good place to do the ashes. And I walk up and I step on something and it's a beautiful yellow feather. And my husband used to bring me feathers from the golf course. And I thought, he's here. He's here. And I've got, you know, there's a lot to a human being. And so the love story continues. And, but you know, I've, I've taken him all over with me and I, I can be a little bit of a daredevil. I like it. It's, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go out, you know, Whimpering. <laughs> I want to go out a blaze of glory. Whatever it is, and you know, whatever it is, you know. I hope I live to 106, but you know, I hope I'm water skiing at 100. That's all I got to tell you. So you now my friend says, don't underestimate the cosmetic value of sobriety. You know, and I quit smoking in 1980, so it's like, you know, I uh, I have my vices though. You know, I do have my vices. <sighs> carrot cake in the heat over at that thing. I mean, it put me in a coma. It was the best carrot cake, but it was carrot cake, and my husband loved that carrot cake, so I said, i got to have it, and Brian hardly put his fork in there. I was just going for it. You know? <laughs> I think I went into a coma, but um, that's okay. Um, you know, and just to be present, to be kind. I remember being on a plane, and my mother had just died, and I got to, you know, I got to hold her, and I got to Oh, it's just, my mother was fabulous. She had an episode on Thursday at 95 and was gone Saturday afternoon. And, um, she was in a beautiful place and I got to get back to Madison and be with her and, and, um, I was really missing her because we were tight, 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 tight. You know, I sent her flowers every month. I called her every week. Um, I visited as much as I could. Sometimes if I was in the area, I'd surprise her and show up. And, um, those are some of my most favorite moments. And, and I was on a plane, and I was kind of irritated because I, I needed the space, and there was a seat, and then this family gets on late, right? And I thought, oh, the biggest one's going to sit by me, I bet. But no, it was the little tiny lady. They didn't speak much English. The daughter did, and they all kind of sat in little seats, so they got on the plane late, and, but they kept the plane for them. And so this little lady's sitting there, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm not in a mood. I'm just So I'm being nice. I'm not doing any of being nice and kind of staying in myself and um i noticed that the flight attendant um has to tell her to you know put her seat belt on so i had to help her get her seat belt on she didn't speak any english and she was you know looked a little timid and then you know i put her bag under the seat for her and and she kind of kept giving me these little blessings all the time and and then um the plane took off and i saw she was kind of scared and um I just, you know, I didn't do anything, but I noticed she was tense and then I coughed. So she's digging in her little purse and she gets me a cough drop. And, and I yeah, tell her thank you and then she's blessing me. And then I want to cough again and I'm like, not coughing again. <laughs> and then the, 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 you know, the flight attendant comes by and there's do coffee or water or whatever and she kept going like this. Pointing at her eyes. I didn't under and I said, I think she wants coffee. <laughs> so she got coffee and she she looked at me and went like I knew which one. Blessing me some more. And it's like quit blessing me, I don't want any more blessings. I'm in a bad mood. And um, so then she got cream and sugar and she was very happy with all that and um, I did cough again and I got another cough drop. It was like oh so then we're getting ready to land and, you know, we p- pushed her stuff under and and uh, I could tell she was um, tense again. And there's been this man working on his computer by the window doing his business stuff, you can tell. Not paying too much attention to us at all. But I going down, I could tell she was nervous. And I reached over and held her hand. And it was like my mother. It was like my mother. My mother was that kind of person, just kind and loving and in her own, you know, way, gave everybody blessings. She gave, she always, she would always say, may God be with you when people left, you know. Um, So she was my, and even the man in the window must have felt something with his, you know, work, he turned over and just gave us big smiles. So that was so unexpected. And there's all those little moments all day long to connect, to connect to another soul that's here on this planet, to, you know, this spirit inside of us that I don't think ever really extinguishes. I think existence continues. Um, You know, when my husband uh, passed away, it was, um, it was, he went into hospice on Wednesday and he was gone Friday night. Um, Everybody around me is two and a half days. I'm hoping that's what I get, two and a half days. I had a cat two and a half days. You know, it's just like, uh, two and a half days. But people that came, his sponsor came and crawled in bed with him and held him. And that was kind of the last moments that my husband was verbal, was with his sponsor. And uh, people came and we were waiting for his, his brother got there, waiting for his sister was stuck in New York on the tarmac. They were all hold something and we were, telling him that she's coming, and, you know, we were letting him know exactly where. And he was, I sat on on his pillow, the back pillow that he would sleep on, and he leaned into me, and the room was full of various people and Alcoholics Anonymous and his family coming. My son got there. He was out of town working. He got there in time. uh, And there was nothing but love in that room. Nothing but love. And then I said, we got to get a blues picker. My husband loved the blues. Hour later, this newcomer shows up with his beautiful guitar and sits at the end of the bed and starts picking the blues. And um, my uh, friend's (laughs) husband, who became a Tibetan monk, it's a long story. (laughs) We had Sister Sheila there. She was guarding the stairs, and anybody who could come up, so too many people wouldn't come up. Sister Sheila, the nun, you had to listen to her. And people were online from all over the world. We had friends in Australia, friends in Sweden, friends all over the world sending messages. And they would come up and give me the messages, and I would whisper in his head, because he was leaning into me. Um, And Vic was there, and there was somebody who came in and started crying and Vic very kindly just walked her out and said, don't bring your pain in here. And my yeah. son heard him say, bring only love. So my son made a sign on the door that said, bring only love. It was a group effort. The whole thing was a beautiful group effort to send him off. And that night, um, you know, we carried him out in linen. It was just... Uh, said a lot of prayers, and that night, three of us laid in, three girls, we laid in that bed where a man had just transitioned. And there was nothing but peace in that room, nothing but peace, there was no struggle. And I thought, wow, I I didn't know that a death could be so beautiful and it really taught me a lot it taught me a lot Um there were more things that happened but i don't need to go into all of that that were magical mystical i don't know but i think with this this openness that you get from cleaning out all the blockage between you and god between you and each other between you and love because that's my god is love that There's unlimitless, it's an unlimitless load. It's an unlimitless load of love and learning and teaching and humility and fun and connection, which is what I was missing my whole life. (coughs) Alcohol connected me to the spirit. And there was nothing that was going to replace that until I came to you. And we are lucky enough to sit here. So yeah, carry the principles in in all my affairs. I have to work these principles in all my affairs, whether you're watching or not, because I live here. I live here. I live here, and I need to know. I need to know where I can be better, because I don't like wasting the day. Um, And you know, I read a lot of things, and one of the guys I like to read is an English guy named Blake. Who was a mystic, and he um, went to India, and he was a writer, and he needed inspiration and he was you know a poet and and he needed inspiration and he wrote about mystical things, so he went to India and he was sitting on the Ganges, and they had um, the sun went down, and he saw these uh, boats on fire going down the Ganges, and the Ganges is huge it's a huge, huge river in fact some of Casey's ashes went to the Ganges, with a friend of mine who was over there and had a ceremony for me. And he was there on on the banks, and he thought, "What are these boats on fire that are going down? There's all these boats on fire." And a local came by and he said, "You know, can you tell me what's going on here?" And he said, "Yeah, it's it, today's the day that we can send our our dead off down the Ganges." And so we get to do this every so often, and this is the day that we get to put them in a boat. We get to put all the things they love in there, their flowers, their food, their books, whatever they love in the boat with them. And I thought, what would I have in the boat with me? I'd have a big book. Definitely have a big book. You know, I'd have probably <laughs> pictures of all the pets I'd loved. And yes, I've made my amends to the pet kingdom. Uh, if you're sponsored by me and you're whining, you you can't have a dog, you got to go get a cat, you know, and I don't like cats, and then one showed up at her door about two weeks later, how'd you do that, you know, it's like, (laughs) just, you know, so, yeah, I'd probably have some of that, I'd have, I'd have, um, you know, pictures of the people I'd love, I'd, I'd have, you know, some of my favorite flowers, I don't know what I'd have in there, I thought about it, what would I want in my boat, And he said, we put everything they love and they're wrapped in linen and then they light the boat on fire and they say their prayers and they push them down the Ganges. And he thought, wow, that's quite a, quite a thing. And he was sitting there and just kind of amazed at all these lives going by. All these lives going by that were, were done here on this earth. And then he got his inspiration. And what it said to him was, when you throw me on the pyre of life and you give me all the things I love in my boat and you light me on fire and you push me down the Ganges, may I be all used up. And that's what I'm striving for. That rings true for me. So, I love the humility that was written in this book so many ways. And as it says in the end of a vision for you, I am changed because I've met you. Thank you.